Hello, I'm Steve, the retired criminal investigator with the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, the Federal Law Enforcement Agency of the United States Air Force. I'm Hannah, the amateur true crime enthusiast. I've been fascinated with my dad's job, and I love starting conversations with him to learn more. Join us each week as we share these conversations with you and discuss a real criminal case that piques our interest. Hello. Welcome back, archivists. Welcome back. Yeah. Why'd you say it like that? I don't know. Sounded weird. I have no idea. Alrighty. So today and next week are going to be connected. We have... Two separate stories, but they're going to be connected. So it's kind of like a part one, part two series, if you want to call it. You look confused. No. I was waiting. It's, it seemed again like you were going to say something. So no, I was waiting. I'm just listening to you. Oh, please. <laughs> please. Now you want to start listening? <laughs> Almost 28 <laughs> years in, and you want to start listening? Okay. We are in uh, Wisconsin this week. We are talking about Tim Hack and Kelly Drew. Um, their murders are often referred to as uh, the sweetheart murders because these two were high school sweethearts. They were both 19 years old at the time in 1980, and we're in uh, Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin, specifically. I think it's uh, like closer to Milwaukee. Because I kept reading that over. Didn't we do a similar case before? Where it was a boyfriend-girlfriend thing. Uh, Yeah, the guy. Yeah. Yeah. That was like one of the oldest. That was like the oldest at Mm, the time. Yeah. Cold case that was solved with. Oh, no. I think it was like 40 or 30. Mm, It was because it was like one of the oldest uh, cold cases that had been solved with genetic genealogy at that time. All right. Yeah. Where is this again? Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. Okay. We got a few different places, though. So I'll like I'll bring up those places at, when we get okay. there. So Tim and Kelly were uh, high school sweethearts. They were both 19 years old at the time. Tim lived on his family's farm. And Kelly, uh, in the episode that I watched, they described her as like the city girl. And then he was, you know, the country boy. And she would, she would come around all the time, hang out on the farm with him. Kelly had just graduated from beauty school. Uh, They are both described as just being a good couple. They were very much in love. Tim's father said that he believed they would eventually get married. They are also described later on as being joined at the hip, just very much in love, which will be kind of an important thing to remember later on. So they were always together, high school sweethearts, very much in love. The families believed they would get married I'll give you a little spoiler. They were uh, even buried together. They mm. share a headstone. So wow. very, yeah, very, very sad, very sweet. On August 9th of 1980, the two of them go to a friend's wedding at the Concord House in Sullivan, which is a town 40 miles west of Milwaukee. And then they had plans to go to a carnival after their friend's wedding. They arrive at the wedding that night. They only stay for like 30 to 45 minutes. Witnesses said that Tim had a beer and Kelly had a soda, and that was really it before they left to go to the carnival. The next morning, the families both wake up and notice that neither Tim or Kelly are home. 
uh, you know, and they reach out to one another. Tim calls Kelly's mom to see if they maybe stayed the night there. They say this is pretty unusual behavior of these two. They would, uh, you know, at least Tim would let them know if he wasn't going to be home or if he was staying late or if he was staying somewhere, somewhere else. They had just hadn't heard from them. So at this point, Tim's father calls Kelly's mom. They're not there either. So he goes to the Concord house and this is where he finds Tim's car left at the Concord house. Tim's car is left with the door like slightly open. It's not completely shut all the way. His keys, wallet, and cigarettes, checkbook, they were all inside the car still. There was no sign of a struggle. That's what the police say when they show up, although the door is left open. Mm -hmm. To me, that kind of sounds like there was... I guess I know what they mean, no sign of a struggle. So but the car is here, the door is open. Not like completely open, oh. but not completely shut yeah, either. Okay. It's, like, it's definitely like he was opening the door and something and happened. And what was in there? Checkbook? Checkbook, cigarettes wallet keys all of their stuff essentially okay something's up witnesses when they start so they start talking to everyone that was at the wedding because they're they're missing at this point yeah so they who, start talking who to last everyone saw them. right right and talk to who last saw them right so witnesses say that they saw a dark dirty van that night of the wedding that was just like chilling in the the neighborhood or not the neighborhood i'm sorry the parking, parking lot, lot yeah. and a, a couple witnesses said that the van left in a hurry at one point they saw they see the van mm. the van just like you know screech mm -hmm. off the concord house is also right next to the interstate so that's important to note as well mm -hmm. so that's kind of where law enforcement are at right so this is in sullivan right yes we're so like 40 miles, what did I say, 40 miles east? West of, of M Milwaukee. West of it's Milwaukee, like, yep. It's like directly west. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Concord. So. It's like a, I'm sorry, I didn't clarify. It's like a like a dance hall. Yeah. Like it's a, a ball. There's actually, like a, a, there's like actually a, a town place. called Concord just right on I-94, which is north of Sullivan. So, okay. Uh, I got a picture. I'm tracking. Specifically this house, though, it's like a... It's like a recreational building with, I mean, it's a venue. Mm -hmm. They were having a wedding. So yeah, it's, you yeah. know, like part mm -hmm. of the community. Okay. So right now they're just missing, right? Mm -hmm. So police, everyone are out looking. Six days later on August 15th, actually, 1980, uh, we're off of County Road E. So still in like the same area. A kid on his tractor finds a pair of pants that matched what Kelly had been wearing. Now, the pant legs had been cut from the ankle up to the waist, both pant legs. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Over the next few days, more items of clothing that would turn out to be Kelly's and rope with knots, like pieces of rope with knots. Oh, good. Okay. Were found along the road within six miles of the Concord house up on County Road Yeah, it's... E. it's um. We're gonna it's end going, up in a triangle here. Yeah, so if it's you going have your north, map, yeah. yeah. We're gonna have a we're gonna be in a triangle. So yep. if you have your map it's up. It's going north now. Yes. There's a bunch of different types of knots. Regular square knots, half notches, or half hitches. And they're finding this just on the road? Yes. Off the side of the road. Okay. A regular square knot, half hitches. Okay, I couldn't quite mm -hmm. understand what they said. Bowing or bowl, bowing? Bo um, bow something knots? You're the, bowling the knot. Boy Scout. Bowling bow knot. Okay, one of those knots. What does that tell you, Mr. Investigator? Well, um, probably, first of all, somebody that knows knots, right? Mm. Typically, that's someone associated with sailing or boating or something. 
military trades. Mm-hmm. That's what they're thinking also. Mm-hmm. That's what they said. So now we're on, we're going to fast forward. So this is, that's what they find. And that's, again, kind of it. They're still mm-hmm. looking. We're going to fast forward to Sunday, October 19th, still 1980. Mm-hmm. Seven miles from the Concord House. I, okay. Type it in on your map. Yeah. It's I-X-O-N-I-A. I had the pronunciation, and now that I'm looking at it again, I cannot remember the pronunciation. I. X-O-N-I-A. Zonia? Yeah. Zonia. That's how, I think that's how they said it. Oh, I that's promise. Not... I promise I had. This is seven miles from the Concord House. Yeah, this is this is north now. Mm-hmm. Actually, across the little river. This, this is should north. be at the bottom. So this should make the triangle. So okay. we should. This should Go be ahead. the third point of the triangle. Mm-hmm. So we're now seventy-one days after their original disappearance. Some squirrel hunters found the body of Kelly and Drew. I'm sorry. They found Kelly's body, and then a hundred yards away. Tim's body is found. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about like the crime scene where they were found. Yeah, okay. Kelly had ligature marks around her ankles and her wrists consistent mm-hmm. with being bound. So they tied that back into the ropes, right? Let me back up for a second. Did they know those pants and ropes had some, something to do with this investigation? At the time when they found them, when they found her, the, all the clothes, oh. yes, because it matched they, the they, description okay, of what the she was wearing. the description of the clothes. Yes. Okay, so that's why they picked up all those ropes and to stuff. To me, okay. when I heard the thing about the rope, I I don't know. Like, I guess the rope must have been found like literally on top of the clothing because to me... Or if it's in close proximity. Remember I told you before, you don't you know... you just guess You don't know, right. You don't know what's evidence and what's not. So you just take so it. So you, you pick it up, yeah. Okay. You take it as evidence. So, so that I feel it was like probably that. close, you know, because if they're cutting pants off and then cutting the ropes that they r- tied them up, they're just throwing it out the window. It all happened yeah. in in sequence. So it's probably not too far off from each other. Because to me, so like I guess everyone in the community knew knew that they were missing and knew what to look for. Right, right. But to me, like, do you know how many times? A day, I see random pieces of clothing on the side of the road, mm-hmm. and of course, it, I'm me. So in my brain, it, I, it does yeah. go there. But You're like, looking for some murder barn afterwards, huh? It, but, but right, but like, how many times do people's clothes just kind of like yeah. come out, or if they're hauling stuff in the back of the truck and it just like flies out because it's windy? I don't know. I, I don't carry clothes in my truck every day as a matter of routine. Okay, but when people are like, if you're taking mm. things to donate, or if you're taking mm. things to like yeah. the dump or whatever, and you have a truck, but, like, but or the windows stop, are down, but they're looking, they're looking for two missing people, right? And right. they see so clothes. That's, that's in my brain. He had to have yeah. known. And the clothes are like she was wearing yellow pants. It had to have been this. Yeah. Has so to the be cops it. are probably like, oh, this. Let's grab it. Okay. I mean, it's abandoned anyways. If it's not evidence, so they're gonna take it. You know. Right. Oh yeah, that's that's a good worst point. case. That's a good point. Worst case scenario. They're gonna just throw. They just throw it out if it's not evidence. Oh. Later on, down, you know. But yeah, yeah they. Cl- I, I talked about this before. You just kind of, you just kind of start collecting it. So good on them for collecting Would this they stuff. They still like test it though, because so like, and then the other place my brain goes to is, okay, what if it's evidence of a different murder or a different <laughs> kidnapping? Crazy. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. don't just throw it away. I would. I like. I feel like you should just keep it all all the yeah. time. Well, maybe I don't know. Like, what, put it in a file that, that, away. That's for probably like, dependent on their policy. You know, at that, that point. But they're thinking, oh my gosh, we have clothes. This looks like clothes they're wearing. This yeah. uh, suspicious activity. There's probably foul play. Let's collect all this as evidence. So now they find the bodies. And what condition are the bodies in? 
So the like I mentioned, Kelly had ligature marks. So this is when they are like, okay, the the rope is most definitely yeah, yeah. Um, connected. She had ligature marks around her ankles and wrist, and then they say that the medical examiner does say confirm strangulation. Um, upon seeing her, they mm-hmm. immediately think that she had been strangled because of the damage that had um, happened to her throat. So ligature marks. The rope. Mm-hmm. She had no clothes on. Yeah. And, and just ligature marks, right? Yes. And then her her throat had damage. And then uh, they determined that Tim had been stabbed. Okay. So because no, now I'm thinking. No weapons or anything. So now there. I'm thinking there's more than one person, right, to subdue two people. However, um, could have stabbed him first, got him down, and then grabbed the girl. So You always go to the two-person one when it's whenever we talk Yeah, because you need to subdue two people. Yeah. You know? Unless unless point. someone smooshes their way in to the scene and then he just stabs him first, gets him down on the ground, and then he's able to kill the, the girl, you know. Mm-hmm. From here, they don't really have... This is kind of the first time that it goes cold, essentially. We don't really have much uh, much information. Uh, what did the point. coroner say? What did the medical examiner say? That Tim had been stabbed and that she had been strangled. Okay, they, so he, he died of the stab wound? Yes. Where was he stabbed? It didn't say. In like, I think in the, the midsection. Okay. Based off All of right. what they said. Did he have clothes on or no? Yes. Oh, he had clothes on. Okay. All right. So from here, I mean, they don't really have much evidence. They don't have like a murder weapon or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So it kind of goes cold. Remember, this is 1983. We're going to fast forward to 1983. We've we've briefly talked about this person before, um, and I'm sure you know this name, Henry Lee Lucas mm-hmm. and Otis Toole. So they're famously arrested and confessed to hundreds of murders, right? They had abducted so many women and men, um, sexually assaulting and murdering them, That and they had been in Wisconsin. This is, you know, 1983 is when this happens. They admitted to being in Wisconsin, traveling on I-94, which is right where... It's, it's where they were. Right. That's, and then where they were found, where they were taken, that whole triangle. And around the same time. They ultimately are ruled out, though, because they do pinpoint it, pinpoint their location being in September and October. So they were in Wisconsin, in that area of Wisconsin, in September and October of 1980, not in August when this happened, when they went missing. Yeah, he he's the guy that did the false confessions. I thought so. Um, they he, did he actually police. commit he, some of those, but he did do a lot of false confessions. Yeah, he did. He just was on the confession so in circuit th- to to get free pizza or whatever. Yeah. So the episode that I watched about Tim and Kelly, they played a recording from a, from a phone call between Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Tool, and Henry Lee Lucas says, "Well, you know, we might as well just confess about Tim and Kelly." He's talking about the Tim and Kelly's murders at this point to mm-hmm. to, to Otis, and he says, "Well, we might as well." confess because who else is going to like we might as well just say that we did it we you know so they're ultimately ruled out for for the murder of tim and tim and kelly okay so we're gonna go back over the evidence that we have before it gets cold goes cold again okay because that's what law enforcement is going to do at this point in 1983 Uh so we have kelly's ripped pants the pieces of rope with knots the rest of kelly's clothing that was found the car that was left at the Concord, Concord house with keys, wallet, cigarettes, still slightly opened. Tim had been stabbed. Kelly had been strangled um, and sexually assaulted. That mm-hmm. They come up with that also. All right. 
Ligature marks on Kelly's ankles and wrists damaged her her throat. Now it goes cold, like cold, cold. So they don't have any fingerprints on anything, the car or anything? Nope. So now we're going to fast forward to 2006, Jefferson County, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Detective Chad Garcia takes the case. He t- he opens up like a, one of the task force to... Yeah. We see this all the time in like yeah. the early 2000s, all these task force, cold case task force, yeah. tasks, task forces, forces yeah. are created. At this point, the case, the murder of Tim and Kelly is 26 years cold. So Kelly's clothing is resub- is submitted to the Wisconsin Crime Lab, so they're going right. to take a look at it again. Just the clothing, not the, the rope? Yes, just the clothing. They right. f- they do find DNA on her underwear and her pants, and it is a male oh. DNA. Okay, there we go. Mm-hmm. At the same time that they're doing this, Detective Garcia is looking at the maps. So that's why I was saying that triangle is important. Right. And this is when he realizes that it's a triangle and like a small area. So in his mind, his theory is that it's someone local. I mean, the problem with that highway being right there, it could be a transient, but somebody that knows that particular area, but got, but met like a trucker, you know, they're driving by all the time, and they know that area. Mm-hmm. With this uh, idea and this information, he reaches out to the media, and he puts it out, he like puts the map out, and is like, if you know anyone, or if you lived in this area, if you know anyone that's lived in this area at this time, because he believes it's someone local. Mm-hmm. A woman named April reaches out to Detective Garcia and says that she believes her father is responsible for the murders of Tim and Kelly. Wow. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. How, yeah. do you, how do you come up with that? You know, I'm going to go more in depth into yeah. that next week. That is our connection. That's going to be our connection. Okay. She said that in August of 1980, they lived within that triangle and her father is Edward Wayne Edwards. Okay, so why does she think it was him then? I guess I, c- I should tell you that Yeah, now. we got to know the lead. Why why would the police follow this? Well, you know? I'm going to tell you the, his background. Like, Detective Garcia does look into it. Really, what... Okay, so what really peaks... Because I'm going to go into more in, more in depth next week. His interest is that Edward Edwards does have a pretty lengthy criminal um, okay. background. Right, all right. And she tells him that he her father wrote a book... And he kind of got a little like he apparently it's a best selling book about his criminal life. It's called The Metamorphosis of a Criminal, The True Life Story of Ed Edwards. Oh, wow. He goes on television. He's like a reformed. I'm going to kind of get into it right now. But um, she essentially her and her siblings start to look at their childhood and they're like, hold up. Some things don't really um, make sense. We were moving constantly in the middle of the night randomly. People were disappearing from our lives. Our houses were being burnt down. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So she essentially sits down with her siblings and they talk about it. And then she's like doing research and she essentially comes across this media post that yeah. or this uh, yeah. this outreach that Detective Garcia did. And mm-hmm. she goes, oh, wait a minute. I, we lived there. And the Concord house, that's where my her father worked there. So she's like, my father worked there. Oh, wait there. a minute. So that's, okay, there's a connection right there. Okay, that's important. Yes. So he was he was a bad guy, lived in the Triangle area, and he worked at the Concord house. There you go. That's a solid lead. Right. That's what I was looking for. That's why they, I, 
that's why the, the police went after him <clears throat> looking into him now. On the episode when Detective Garcia talks about it, he says that really the book is what piqued his interest the most. Is what like that's what he talks about. So he looked more into Ed Ed Edward Edwards based off of the book. They bought the book and they read the book. Yeah. Um, so a little bit about him. This so this is what they find in when they look into Ed, Edward. That he grew up in an orphanage, uh, with um experiencing abuse. Um he went to he spent a lot of time in juvenile detention. Um, and then when he was finally allowed out, he joined the Marine Corps. But then he goes AWOL. He ends up getting dishonorably discharged, ends up back in jail, and in 1955 escapes from jail in Akron, Ohio, which is where he was born in 1933. After escape, he kind of just roams around the country robbing gas stations and just living a life of crime. He ends up on the FBI's most wanted list in 1961. Wow. In 1962, wow. yeah, 1962, he is arrested and put in Leavenworth. He's paroled from there. I didn't get the the story there. That like. So don't ask you. Basically, is what you tell me. Yes, I'm just giving you a quick summary. Okay. All right. Of his background, he's paroled from there in 1967. He says that it was a guard from Leavenworth that really helped reform him, and yeah, you know, he's a reformed person and human in society now. He gets married and writes the book that I mentioned. Okay. In 1972 and goes on a couple of like game shows where he like talks about he ends up kind of becoming like a motivational speaker, essentially, uh-huh. and got quite a bit of fame from this book where he talks about getting his, you know, he's reformed wow. from being a criminal. Then in 1982, he goes back to prison in Pennsylvania for arson of his own house for the insurance money. He actually got his three sons. This is after him. the book. Yeah, the book kind of so the the fame from his book and the money kind of slows down. People lose interest, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, and yeah, so he his house he burns his house down with the help of his three kids, his three sons. And wait a minute, so the sister gets with them later on and says, "I think something's wrong." And then the kid, the brothers don't say, "Well, we helped dad burn the house down." Oh, they knew at the time. They knew that the three boys, the three boys admitted to it. That's how the dad. That's how he got arrested because they told the police that. You know, dad wanted us to help him burn the house down. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I, and I mean, like, to be fair, at the time when you're a kid, you're doing what your parents tells you to do. Isn't you don't it, really put two and two together. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, later on in life, all of the kids are like, hold on. There's some things that are a little iffy yeah. about him. Yep. Where's the wife? So she's there. She, he stabbed yeah. her in 1980 over a bag of chips apparently so she ends oh, up yeah, being in the hospital that's another thing they look back yeah. at too so right. he ends up um, going to jail again for two years for the arson and then between 1974 and 2009 according to april he is in and out of jail and uses false names like aliases mm-hmm. and they are constantly moving like every six right. months in the yeah. middle of the night all of that so that's really what they find when they look into him once they get this lead from April and mm-hmm. they're like, okay, maybe we should what? Go talk to him. Yeah. And then the whole thing working at the Concord house or whatever. The other thing that they find when they look back through it is, so he was originally spoken to, he was originally interviewed when Tim and Kelly went missing because oh, he no worked kidding. there. Yeah. So he's in their list. He's, I mean, he's on their list of people who were interviewed at the time. Wow. That's interesting. <laughs> I always like when that happens. In that report, he when he originally was interviewed by police, mm-hmm. he had a broken nose. 
so this is like the day after they go missing, right? Two uh-huh. days after they go missing. He has a broken nose and he tells them that he got it from deer hunting. Don't forget we're in August. He got it from uh, deer hunting. The gun had like a bad, what is it, recoil? And it hit his, hit him in the nose, broke his nose. In August? <laughs> and the cops believe that bullshit? At the time? Det- now, when Detective Garcia looked at it, he said that stood out to him because he goes, deer hunting in Wisconsin is in November, not August. Well, yep. Gun deer hunting anyway. Yeah, yeah. I knew you were going to pick up on that too because you used to hunt. Yeah. So, yeah. So, then Detective Garcia checks in with his landlord in Wisconsin where they were living at the time of the murders. And... Apparently, like the next night after the police talked to him, Edwards and his family packed up and moved in the middle of the night. They left in the middle of the night. Wow. So literally right after the police talked to them. The landlord also tells Detective Garcia that he found some rope in the garage when Edwards left. They in the episode say that it matched the rope that was found. Uh-huh. That's unclear like, I couldn't find that in any of my other side research, so it's unclear to me how they were able to match it. Because we're 29 years later, so I was like, did the landlord keep the rope? How do they know it's the same rope? Yeah, because I was going to ask you, I don't really understand yeah. what happened. My, it sounds like the landlord maybe kept the rope. And they were able to say that oh, it was like the like same. like he just said, oh, by the way, when we cleared out their place, I found this rope and I kept it. Yeah. In the episode, they yeah, kind of like moved yeah. past it a little fast. So I'm yeah. like, mm, I don't know how they, yeah, they that's, confirmed that's that. That's interesting. But okay. they do say right. with like confidence right. that it's the same rope. Yeah, okay. He All also right. had a dark van that matched the witness's description that I mentioned. Oh, this is just adding up nicely for the cops, really. Mm-hmm. It's, all, it's all coming together beautifully. Yes. Do you want me to tell you Detective uh, Garcia's theory before we get to him going to see him yes. how about tell me your theory of what happened first well obviously he saw them when he was working at this venue at the wedding or whatever and where was the car again yeah at, in the parking lot of the concord so House. he he saw them and maybe he i think he, mo- he kind of befriended them maybe uh, let's go smoke some marijuana or something one of those things because he had to in order to get to her, he had to kill him first, stab him. So he sort of befriended to get to get close to them, and they went off to do something. Maybe how old were they again? Nineteen. Yeah, so maybe he was going to go buy alcohol for him or something, something like that. He befriended him and got him to trust him, and they went somewhere for what some reason, and then he stabbed him and then raped and murdered her. Detective Garcia's theory is that he was waiting in the parking lot of the Concord house on that night, Mm -hmm. saw Tim and Kelly walk out, and Kelly very much fit the profile of victim for him that he would pick. Oh, so it happened right there in the the parking lot then? Yes. So he believes that uh, Tim hit him, like punched him in the the face to to fight him off, broke his nose, and that's when he stabbed Tim. So you're thinking of him stabbing Tim first. Oh, but and I then, was yeah, but I was wrong. He didn't. He just went right after him. So there yeah. was a fight. Well, this is I detective. Forgot, this is Detective yeah. Garcia's theory. No, we're, but we're I forgot he had um he had the blooded nose. Yeah, his broken nose. Yeah. So Detective Garcia's theory is that Tim tried to fight him off and punched him in the face, broke his nose. Sure, that's true. I just mm-hmm. I feel like. And then he stabbed Tim. I mean, this happened in the parking lot after a wedding. I'm that during. Well, the reception it's still going on. Yeah, I don't know about thing. this. So okay. So yeah, 
Um, he puts Tim into the van and then gets Kelly into the van also. We know that she was sexually assaulted and strangled. Mm-hmm. So th- the theory is that, you know, it happened somewhere in the van probably. My thing with his theory, though, is that there was no mention of blood being found. And I feel like there yeah, would have been blood I, I, if Tim had For some had been reason, stabbed. I feel like... I feel like maybe he convinced, a, he convinced them to go somewhere, maybe get yeah. alcohol, smoke marijuana or something. Um, or, or they were planning on going to the carnival. So that makes sense. Like maybe getting alcohol and then going to the carnival. Yeah. This, I feel like, um, where do they think the murder happened? Right there in the parking lot. Well, they think he, uh, detective Garcia's theory is that he stabbed Tim in the parking lot and then put them both in the van. She didn't go running. I mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's, all right, so all right. I I don't think I believe his theory. I think I believe your theory a all little right. bit more because if he was stabbed in the parking lot, there should have been blood in the parking yeah, lot. Yeah, I right? feel like it would have been a mess. Right, and they would have had a better answer like right away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah I I don't hate okay. his theory, but I also right, I believe right, your exactly. theory. Okay. So July thirty first of two thousand nine, uh, Ed Edwards is about seventy six years old now. Mm-hmm. He lives in a trailer park in Louisville, Kentucky. We're still 29 years after the murder murders. He's in poor health. He's in a wheelchair. He's on oxygen. What year is this? Uh, 2009. Nine. Okay. So they got to go. So they go to Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. They got to get DNA. To see him. Apparently he, you know, he cooperates with the, the police. Doesn't seem phased by them being there. Now, there are two TV show episodes that I watched mm-hmm. on this case and the one next week. Mm-hmm. Okay. The one specifically that is about Tim and Kelly said that he cooperated and offered up his DNA. Okay. Mm -hmm. The next episode that I watched that was more about him actually had a, the audio of their conversation Mm -hmm. and detective Garcia asks for his DNA and he says no. And then detective Garcia presents him with a search warrant. So I'm not sure why there's conflicting information, but there was a literal audio recording, so I'm going to go with yeah, that you one. Ha- you have to go with that yeah. one. The other one was just... They I just, just wanted to preface that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. By him, like, he did... He was, like, cooperating and talking to them, but Detective Garcia asks for his DNA, and he does originally say no. And then Detective Garcia is like, meh, I'm going to take it anyway. I have a, I have a warrant. Nice. Nice. <clears throat> I love doing that. Detective Garcia also asked him if he deer hunted while he was living in Wisconsin. And he said no. I was like, you're stupid. <laughs> that's a great question. You know why that's a great question? Even though the detective knows that that the deer hunting story is bullshit because it was in August, he just he just got that out. Hey, did you, no. Now caught he, him in his lie. He caught him in his lie. Right, right. He doesn't remember he told the police that. So th- that's a smart question. That That's a detective that knows the story, knows the background, and re- was really prepared going into this. That's a great question. Yeah. I was like, I mean, bad guys are stupid, and let's hope they stay stupid. Yeah, right? we like them when they're stupid. Yeah. So, of course, the DNA comes back as a match. They bring him in to talk to him at, at the police station in Louisville. He's not acting concerned. He's making jokes with the detective. That's rapport. Yeah, good. He waves his Miranda uh, rights. Good. They talk to him for like eight plus over a little over eight hours uh-huh. is their interview, which I'm like, that's that's an insane amount of time. He, of course, denies involvement. Now, listen, this man is very much like 
he so when he was going in his like earlier life robbing places and going in and out of prison as he was committing all of these crimes like all of the the robberies he was doing it unmasked and he said that he did like he said this out loud that he did it because he wanted to be famous he wanted to be known he has never he never became the serial killer maybe with the book he was hoping people would figure him out yeah. Or he did just, he start killing like after a narcissist? that book? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's He's, exactly right. Yeah, he just has like yeah. he wants to have control. He wants to be in this yeah. this place. So yeah. that's kind of how he's acting with law enforcement right now mm-hmm. during this interview. He's like he keeps trying to change the subject. He won't stay on topic about Tim and Kelly. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's typical. Detective Garcia feeds into his ego a little bit. He had his book and he asked him to sign it. <laughs> that I think I did hear about this before. Yeah, we. Uh, you know what? I've watched this episode before, and I I, I feel like I've called you. I like, he asked them to, to sign it. Just yeah. yeah. Uh, so that kind of gets him a little bit, you know. Yeah, uh, that he's like, ah, oh, these people love me. It's great. Yeah. So uh, in the you can watch like the they have the video they put it in the show and he yeah. he goes I'm gonna sign it Wayne is that okay That's his middle name Yeah I was like ugh icky <laughs> The whole time the detective's thinking. You dumbass, I got you. I got you right where I want you. So finally, when they present him with his semen being found on Kelly's clothes, he what do you think he does? He confesses. No, he says that they had consensual consensual oh, oh, yeah, sex. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. I'm like, I roll. So this is this is where why I said to keep in mind what I was saying earlier about Tim and Kelly and how like close they were. I mean, like, again, they their families had them buried together. They share a headstone and they weren't even, they, you know, they weren't married yet, but their families, everyone was so confident. They were high school sweethearts. They were going to be together forever. They were joined at the hip. So when he says this, everyone is like, yeah, there's no way she would have gone off and had, you know, consensual sex with you. There's no way that that would have happened. Law enforcement, though, at this time, don't, you know, they don't feel good about prosecuting him on this because... They don't really have much else other than his DNA, and he's saying that they had consensual sex. So, like that kind of explains. Yeah, the DNA well, away, right? right, and that's it's now it's his word against their word type of thing. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that was smart on his part, right? Goes back to what we talked <clears throat> about, how like with all of his genetic genealogy, the yeah, DNA yeah, right, like being right. found does that really mean? Uh, it's well, his, and that's the defense. Because typically, how it goes is, nope, I don't know the person, never met him. And they talk to him for a while, and then, okay, all right, we had consensual mm-hmm. sex. And they're like, eh, I would think you're lying. But he came right out at the beginning and said, oh, yeah, I know you're talking about I had consensual sex with her. That's why you found my DNA there. Well, after eight hours of saying, I had no involvement in this. So he was, I mean, he was denying it until they presented him with his DNA on her clothes. Oh, okay, yeah, I, I don't know them. Well, regardless, they're not super I confident. I feel like they, yeah, I feel like they would... <sighs> okay. This okay. So this next part is still even yeah. iffy for me. If I was like a juror mm-hmm. for this trial, yeah. So they go back and rewatch the video of the eight hours, eight plus hours mm-hmm. of them recording because they're like, let's see if we maybe miss something. Mm-hmm. And at one point, there's no I, no one's talking. Like the detective in the room. I don't know if it was Gar- Detective Garcia or some or the other detective because there's yeah. two. Yeah. And then even just Edward. Is sitting there, no one's really saying anything, and he has his like head down, and he mumbles something to himself. Now they say that they play it over and over and over again, and they hear, "Damn it, I killed her." But you've heard of that like phenomenon thing where like 
if someone tells you what it says, like a recording or something, yeah, you, you will only you ever only hear, hear that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So I like when I was listening to it, the first part of it, I couldn't really make out. It does definitely sound like he says I killed her. But I'm like, OK, but you told me that's what you heard. So that's what I'm going to hear. Mm-hmm. So yep. like how do, I don't know that that really I don't. OK. All right. So, I don't know that I would believe so that, the but that's prosecutors what they aren't aren't good, aren't comfortable. But they, when they hear that, they are. They, they take that. Oh, they that. become? Yeah. Oh, oh they I thought said, that just made them more uncomfortable. No, that makes them positive. They're okay. like, he confessed. That's it. We got him. Okay. And that's just me playing devil's advocate. Like, I don't yeah. know that I okay. would. So now they, they say, oh, we have him then. Let's just go ahead and convict him. Let's go prosecute him. Yep. Get him indicted. They extradite him back to Wisconsin because, again, remember, we're in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He faces charges. Yeah. Um, at this point, his health is getting worse, and he is in the hospital. He decides to send letters to a detective in Ohio mm-hmm. about two other murders he committed. Another couple, and this is who we're going to be talking about next week, Billy uh, Lavaco and Judith Straub. He wants to go back to Ohio and receive the death penalty. So he's like, he's essentially dying. He's so sick. Mm-hmm. He has diabetes, and he's just that sick. So he wants to be in control, right? And in Wisconsin, they don't have the death penalty. Or at the time, they didn't have the death penalty. I don't know if they um, – I, I didn't check if they currently, 2023, have it. Probably not, though, because a lot of places have gotten rid of it. Yeah, it's not like they go back to the states. If they didn't have it, they don't have it probably. Right. So he wants to, again, be in control. And so he knows that Ohio does do lethal injection. However, he messed up again. Um and Ohio didn't actually have the death penalty at the time of Judith and Billy's murders in 1977. So because he committed those murders, which I think this is interesting, because he committed those murders in 1977 when Ohio did not have the death penalty, they will not give him the death penalty. That's not mm-hmm. a pun. That's not an option. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah it's like the statute yeah. limitations thing. Right. I don't know. That's not. Well, I mean, it, it reminded it, no, me of that. No, yeah. It's a different type uh, yeah you can't go back in time no no you can't it's like if the law changes right mm-hmm. if the statute changes but the crime happened before the statute changes you can't you can't charge him for that crime if it was different if the elements were different right, right? so it's similar to that yeah okay yeah then he confesses to murdering his foster son mm-hmm. danny law Gluckner in Ohio uh, in Ohio sorry mm-hmm. and for this he does receive the death penalty uh in the episode the pro- one of the prosecutor or the DA she says now we don't usually like giving bad people what they want in this case as far as we know at least there's five people that he's killed now okay. that he's confessed to All so right. they were okay with giving him the death penalty after he confessed to killing his um, foster mm-hmm. son he was set to be executed on August 31st of 2011, but then he actually died of natural causes on April 7th of 2011. Okay. But he went to jail. You got the death Yeah, he had he been in jail. jail. He yeah. was arrested in 2009. When so he, all they, they had was his DNA? On her clothing, on her pants and underwear, yeah. yes. Okay. And, I mean, his history and background. No, it all, it's all beautiful. It's all beautiful, yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, he would have known them because he worked there. He had a criminal history. He lived Mm -hmm. in the area. Beautiful. And April talks about she remembers, you know, that night he came home with a broken nose and then the cops came and interviewed him. And she said when he came home that night with the broken nose, I forgot to mention this because I have this written down for next week. But she said when he came home with the broken nose, he told her mom that he got into a fight, like a physical fight with someone. And then when the police showed up, he told them it was because of the deer hunting. So she remembers that. And then she said the next that next night they packed up in the middle of the night and moved. Wow. I wonder how those kids are now. She again, we'll talk about it next week, but she talks about the guilt Mm -hmm. of both. I mean, she said it's there's no winning. She has guilt for turning him in. She has guilt for not turning him in sooner. How, like, how did I not notice these yeah, things? Yeah, All yeah, these. Yeah. But again, she yep. was, they were kids. Yeah, no. I don't. They were doing dad. things. Yeah. And she said that she talks about how he made them believe that there were bad people after him. And that's why they were constantly moving around. Mm-hmm. They were drifters. They were constantly changing. Yeah. And, you know, ch- him changing his names and all of these things because there were bad people after him. And, you know, that's what I said. In hindsight, they sat down, her siblings, and they were like, eh. Hey, there were some weird things. Yeah, there's some weird crap going on. I think our dad's a killer. Yeah. So, All right. Well, it's really, I was really, really sad for her because that, I mean, that is really hard to live with to uh-huh. have to turn your father in. But. Okay, good. They got some answers. And then, like I mentioned, uh, Tim and Kelly's family had them buried together. One headstone. It's two hearts with their names. Oh, that's nice. And then at the bottom of it, it says kidnapped and slain. So sad. But it is oh, really wow. nice that they. We're buried together. Yeah, that is kind of cool. Yeah, it's really beautiful. So that is all that I have for this. Well, good. Okay, thanks. Like I mentioned, stay tuned for next week because we're going to talk about Billy Lavaco and Judith Straub, which is the other victims of Edward Edwards. All right, awesome. It ties it in a little bit. I will post all of that, like all of the information that I have, all of the mm-hmm. updates. I'll post on the Instagram, which is True Crime Archives, True Crime Archives podcast, mm-hmm. and then we're on Twitter at TC Archives Pod. So, thanks for listening. All right, talk to you next week. Later. Bye. <laughs>